O Lord, open your word to our hearts and reveal to us Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's um, a great joy for Eileen and myself to be uh, with you, back with you once again. This is our third visit. I do want to thank the Dean, um, Andrew, and his colleagues for a most marvellous visit. You've really given us space, as well as put us to work, and it's been great fun to be back in this uh, great city of Birmingham. I must remember to emphasize every <laughs> syllable because in Britain we say Birmingham, just like that. So it's great to be here, but I have to begin with a confession. And I don't want any would-be journalists reaching for their pen at this point and, and writing a story um, for the Birmingham Post saying, Former Archbishop of Canterbury confesses his sin to a bewildered Birmingham congregation. No, it's simply that I prepared the wrong address. And that, it can't get worse than that, can it, in a way, for a preacher? Uh, but uh, in, it's my foolish mistake to have prepared a talk on what I thought was the gospel for today, was Luke chapter 4, and you'll remember the fantastic passage, it's called the Jubilee, he goes to his synagogue um, in Nazareth, and he reads the scriptures, he sits down, and it says, every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. So that's my confession, and that is what I'm going to preach about. <laughs> the great Jürgen Moltmann once said in one of his books, you only ever invite a prophet home for tea once. <laughs> and, and he meant by that that prophets by definition disturb they go to the heart of uncomfortable truths. They get closer to it than most other people. And the congregation in Nazareth were to find that out to their great discomfort. As Jesus, a resident of the town, turned up to worship, the scripture reading from Isaiah 61 was read, Jesus sat down and every eye was on him. This uh, coming May in London, London will welcome home one of its most famous sons. He was born just a few hundred yards from where I was born in the east end of London. He too was prophet-like. He was born, I have to say, some 800 years ago. But he's returning in May. He will first make his appearance in Westminster Cathedral, the, the Catholic one, and people will gaze at him with amazement and astonishment. He will be venerated. He will then go to Westminster Abbey, the Anglican one, and there two, two people will gaze upon him and venerate him. He would even go to the Houses of Parliament and they would respect him then. Then he will eventually go to back to Canterbury, where he once lived and where I once lived and worked. And you will, of course, work out who this person is or was. It's Thomas Beckett, who was murdered in 1170. So when I said he's returning home, I must correct myself. He happens to be just a little piece of bone that comes from his right elbow, 
and the president of Hungary is bringing over to England this little relic of Thomas Beckett. And then he's going to be reunited with a, a bit of his skull that a Catholic school has, and a few other bits and pieces that Canterbury Cathedral had. Well, you can say that's not the real deal to some degree. It's not the real Thomas, but nevertheless, it's a very important uh, moment. Although I hope the Archbishop of Canterbury will uh, remember that there's a particular article in the prayer book which talks about not venerating bones and so on. <laughs> but there will be many people gazing on these things. And you know as well as I do that gazing at someone can take many different forms. When we re read that every eye was on him, what did they see? What were they looking at? I think we can sum it up in terms of wistful longing. Listen to the words that Jesus spoke in that great and first sermon. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What a message of hope to the poor, to those locked up, to the blind, and to the oppressed. And we should not fail to hear the message of hope in the power of those words. You see, words have more power to change things than perhaps we realise. One of the great sons of America is the great Martin Luther King. And one of the pleasures we've had was to go with Kathy to the Civil Rights um, Museum here in Birmingham. Martin Luther King knew in the words of the Magnificat that words can cast down the mighty from their thrones and exalt those of humble estate. Great words said with passion and conviction do change the destiny of a nation and give hope. You've only got to think of Abraham Lincoln and his great speech. Martin Luther's powerful, I have a dream. That, those words said in Washington probably did more to change America than all the word, words of other politicians or a thousand sermons because it articulated the aspiration in the hearts of millions of black people as well as white people alike. So when Jesus repeated the prophetic, prophetic words from Isaiah 61, everyone were alert to what was taking place because he was articulating the hopes, the dreams, the aspirations of those in society who are being, 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 who are being given the rawest of deals. But something changed. Something happened. What was it? God in the way. Well, it was Jesus himself. And he often gets in the way. He, he did he sat down and then he said, now the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Uproar then followed. They didn't like that. The leaders of the synagogue knew he was going to the very heart of Masarship and messianic e 
expectation. Who is this upstart? We know his mother and father. We know his brothers and sisters. Who does he think he is? How dare he? Now let me remind you that you and I are members of a faith that not only offers a vision of hope, equality and renewal, but it rebukes evil. It challenges vice. It opposes injustice. Indeed, it challenges evil in a very profound way and confronts it with sternness and truth. That was why, going back to Thomas Beckett, that was why he was murdered at the end of December 1170 by four knights sent by Henry II. In my view, Thomas Beckett was not the greatest of archbishops. He spent far too much time in exile uh, without being with his people. But nevertheless, he was a noble, courageous Christian leader who knew that sometimes you have to stand up against the powers of evil, and he did. Because his former friend, and he was a very close friend, Henry II, was the enemy of the poor. He was an enemy of the church. He had to be resisted. And so a piece of skull and a piece of an elbow and fragments may not represent the real St. Thomas, but they do represent a brave and holy man who was prepared to follow his Lord even unto death. But do you know what I love about that passage, and indeed these passages at the beginning of Luke, is the exuberance of them. And that word exuberant, in my mind, really sums up the way in which Jesus quietly moves through the crowd as the uproar continues. Christianity, you see, when we live it properly, when we follow the Lord earnestly, is an exuberant faith. The power of Christ, you see, lives in the hearts and minds of men and women who, at our best, we can change communities and nations. When we give ourselves up to the all-consuming love of God, we enter into a wonderful and exciting relationship with God through Jesus. Two years ago, my wife Eileen and I had a brief holiday in Seville in Spain. And it's, uh, if you're looking for a lovely city to visit, it's one we would recommend. But I found out a most wonderful story when we were there, when we visited this terrific, over-the-top cathedral. When Christianity was restored at the end of the 14th century and uh, the Muslims were beaten back, uh, so the Christians had an opportunity to, to rebuild the cathedral over the great mosque. And they did that. And there was the most amazing entry in the cathedral records of 1401 that said this. Let us now build a church so beautiful and so grand that those who see it finished will think we're mad. That's not a, a fantastic thing. Let me say that. A church so beautiful and grand that those who see it finished will think we are mad. When were you and I last accused of madness for following Jesus Christ? No, it doesn't normally happen. But wasn't Jesus a little mad 
to take on the leaders of the synagogue in that provocative way and risk their wrath? Wasn't Thomas Becket rather crazy to go on challenging Henry II in that kind of way? He knew he risked death. Weren't the civil rights people just crazy to keep on walking and antagonizing Mayor Bull Connor? And you see, that's the story of Christianity, the story of courageous people, outrageous people. It's often the account of being prepared to face risk. Some people might call it foolhardy, even bonkers. But you and I know that when we walk that way, we're walking the way of courage with Jesus. Now, let me tell you what happened in several after that, after the building of the cathedral. A lot of money had to be raised. And note this, Andrew, that the clergy of the cathedral uh, had to give and gave freely half their stipends for the artisans, the masons, the carvers, the craftspeople and labor, and to complete the cathedral what took 20 years to complete. So a lot of stipend was lost. You see, the building of Seville Cathedral is a, as exuberant a building can be. And as you and I, and this lovely church on this Sunday morning, as we continue to gaze upon Jesus and walk with him, his strength and his faith becomes ours. And we too can become transfigured into his likeness. And what about you and me this morning? Are there times when you feel discouraged, helpless, let down in the faith? Are you searching for peace in your lives? Is there something nagging away at you, wanting you to be different? You're searching for meaning and hope. Then all, all I can offer you is once again to gaze on him freshly. As that wonderful chorus puts it, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.